Stand by for Soul of Detroit. A crime file based on John Creasy's novel, Battle for Inspector West. Dramatized for radio by Mark Fellhauer. Battle for Inspector West, starring M.L. Elry. As Chief Inspector Roger West of Scotland Yard and Sean Windsor. As his wife, Janet. Part one, Honeymoon Spells Nightmare. You asked to rock your question right out of my face. It's gone. What are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You might be qualified, Emil. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now? Hey, kids. It's your COVID pal, ML Elric, coming to you from a place that is so 2020. Of course, I'm coming to you from my bedroom because I tested positive for COVID. And Sean Windsor, who also tested positive for COVID, will not be with us today as he recovers in one of the many uh, luxurious and comfortable outbuildings in his Ann Arbor estate. But he may be watching us, which would be great because it's the most attention he's paid to this show (laughs) in three years. So, Sean, we wish you Godspeed in your recovery. And, And ironically... Uh, our uh, intro, uh, so elegantly produced by Mr. Fellhauer, uh, talks about honeymoon. And our subject today is about a powerful Michigan lawmaker who ruined a relative's honeymoon by insisting on a sexual favor from the bride just before the uh, before they became uh, man and wife. And they pro- pr- pronoun problem here is uh, the uh, the creepy politician's brother was the groom and his soon-to-be sister-in-law was the bride to work through some of this we're joined by david zeman editor of bridge magazine <coughs> excuse me which COVID. broke this story and uh has tons of exclusive comments and who also was the editor for jim schaefer and i at the detroit free press when we broke the kwame kilpatrick scandal so david thanks for making the time to join us this morning it's a pleasure to be here thank you michael so one of the reasons why we're talking about this and, and bringing it in the Kilpatrick context is because listener Nick inspired our conversation with this email. He said, Mike, a little overly familiar there, Nick, uh, do you prefer that the pair of bridge reporters or predict that the pair of bridge reporters joins your club and wins a Pulitzer for that Chatfield bombshell? A line of that jumped out at me as it relates to your own dogged pursuit of public corruption was the married evangelical Boy Scout living in the northern Michigan boonies like to party hard and run around on his missus at Dan Gilbert's new downtown Detroit hotel, all while Dan was lobbying for auto insurance reform, development incentives, and other so-called Gilbert bills. Nick then quotes from the exclusive bridge reporting, Lee Chatfield would request rides at all times of the night, Aaron recalled. They made regular trips to meet up with women in ritzy Birmingham, frequented the Legends Strip Club in Detroit, and would stay at expensive places like Detroit's Shinola Hotels. Uh, in a nutshell, there are a lot of similarities and quite a few significant differences between the Kilpatrick and Chatfield scandals. But um, but I thought we'd have David on to talk a little bit about, first of all, how Bridge broke this big story. And then we can dive into some of the things that have us uh, hearkening back to the Kilpatrick days and some of the very uh, significant differences between these two cases. So, David, take it away. 
Well, let, let's start with it with, with the small matter of uh, we, we uh, changed our name to Bridge Michigan uh, about a, a year or two ago from Bridge Magazine. Uh, which makes sense since we, since no one knew, uh, you know, where the hell Bridge uh, Bridge Magazine was. So we're now officially Bridge Magazine, but um, Michigan, uh, Michigan, yeah, <laughs> Bridge Michigan, <laughs> BridgeMI.com is the website. BridgeMI.com, yes, and that's where you can find our uh, story from uh, last uh, Friday night, uh, written by Kelly House and Jonathan Osting. Um, so. Um, uh, uh, this story came to us uh, just before uh, the holidays, Mike, um, when um, uh, Rebecca Chatfield, the the uh, woman at the center of this, uh, actually uh, called us, called me, um, uh, to 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 let us know that she had filed a, a, a police report uh, with uh, with the Lansing Police Department uh, and had notified her her husband and some family members. Uh, of what she said happened to her over more than a decade's time at, at, at uh, the hands of her now brother-in-law, Lee Chatfield, the former uh, Speaker of the House. And um, she told me uh, her story um, uh, and told me that she was reaching out to us uh, at Bridge uh, for a couple of, of reasons. Um, uh, first, because she knew that the uh, what she had said she had told the Lansing police, uh, once that became public, it would become politically explosive. And she feared that if she stayed silent and didn't say anything, um, that uh, Lee Chatfield, with his access to media and his visibility, uh, would be able to control the narrative about what did or did not happen. Uh, and that she would be voiceless. And she wanted to have an avenue that uh, through which uh, her story and her voice could be could be told uh, directly so that she wasn't a passive uh, bystander and 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 the other side, as she sees it, would be allowed to control the narrative uh, of what happened. And secondly, um, she said that she wanted to come forward because, as the story makes clear, she felt like she really had no place to turn. Uh, particularly when she was, you know, 15, 16 years old when she said this started. Um, and she felt like she had no options to get out of it. And so she she said she really wanted to be an inspiration to other young people, particularly young girls um, who, um, who might feel like they're trapped uh, in a relationship that, that, uh, that they have not consented to and would hopefully give them some inspiration to speak up, to find somebody to report it to, so that uh, what happened to her would not happen to them. So one of the things um, that uh, that we really miss about Bridge Magazine, of course, is the explicit letters section. But uh, but Bridge Michigan is, uh, is a, a 10 years now. They've been breaking big stories and doing a lot of policy work in Michigan. Um, you can subscribe to it. You can also read these stories for free at bridgemichigan.com, which I encourage you to do, and we'll include a link on our website. But as you tell us how this story evolved, I guess one difference I wasn't aware of between the Kilpatrick and Chatfield stories is Jim and I, I think, told you about the text messages, and you said, holy crap. I imagine when you told uh, your reporters, hey, I got a call from the former Speaker of the House uh, sister-in-law who says that she was sexually abused, they must have said, holy something or other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, 
the first thing I did was I I I, I talked to my co-editor Joel Kurth and, and to our CEO John Bebo and and we sort of had a threshold issue of is this the kind of story that uh, that is really in 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 Bridge Michigan's uh, wheelhouse. I mean we, we we tend to cover the sort of vegetables of the of the news hmm. ecosystem, right? You know, policy, education, health, uh, business, that sort of thing. Um, and we certainly are not in the business of covering uh, infidelities of, of, of political folks. Um, uh, I don't think a lot of a lot of mainstream media uh, organizations are, are really in the business of doing that anymore. Although you know um, there are certain big exceptions. What, what attracted us to this story was not um, what um, this woman's brother told us about her, about you know wheeling her his his brother around to hookups with women all over Lansing and Detroit. Um, what, what we see this story as being about is about um, uh, uh, the possibility of someone wielding power to, uh, to, to, um, uh, to perform a criminal act uh, on somebody who was powerless to stop it. If in fact, uh, this, this, uh, this uh, woman was, was underage at the time, and if, in fact, as she says, Lee was her teacher at the time that this started, uh, those are two different avenues through which, if true, criminal charges uh, could be pursued. And so, uh, you know, taking advantage of someone who is vulnerable, either because they're a, a, a kid from a troubled family um, at a, a private school in northern Michigan, um, or, you know, taking advantage of, of them, perhaps, you know, uh, there's a mention in our story that he um, uh, may have uh, been having affairs with people on his staff. Um, hey. Those are two avenues through which uh, we thought, um, uh, if true, you know, that sort of abuse of power uh, was something that was worth uh, telling people about. Have you heard of stories like that? I mean, uh, maybe not enough to print, but are the rumors strong enough? Because usually when this happens, when somebody comes forward and it happened to other people, they come forward as well, strength strengthen numbers. Yeah, well, you know, one of the difficulties um, of this story and why we waited so long uh, to publish it is because, it, um, you know, we we were prosecuting her story, essentially. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Kelly and Jonathan sat, sat down with her over Zoom over many, many hours. And, you know, one of the difficulties here was that uh, she hadn't told anybody at the time, right? Uh, you know, a, a, a lot of uh, the way in which these older uh, cases are investigated uh, are by, you know, asking the, the person who said that they were abused, well, did you tell anyone contemporaneously? Did you uh, keep a diary? Did you have a notebook? And so forth. Um, and uh, many of the high-profile cases that we've seen, they have. And that was really compelling. But there are also many cases in which in which uh, someone in this position tell, tells nobody and doesn't do it for so many years. And I think we saw a lot of that in the in the Nasser case. And and it, you know it took one or a couple of people to to come forward um, to give other people the the courage and, and support they felt they needed before before they could come forward as well. So um, you know it, it, it was it, it was. Uh, uh, a long road to, to getting there. And, and, uh, you know, we're still seeking the police report to, to, uh, further corroborate this story. Can she provide you a copy of the police report? Uh, uh, well, we, we, 
you know that that's certainly something that 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 uh, we're pursuing. And um, no, we do we we did we're not able to get the police report. Um, the uh, police department uh, uh, rejected our Freedom of Information Act request, saying that it was a, a, a case that they were actively uh, investigating. And uh, up until the time that she obtained legal counsel, um, she was not able to get it from them uh, as well. But uh, presumably, sure. and, with legal counsel, that that they will get that in pretty short order. And, and let's be clear: there's no question that there is a police report. Lansing Police have acknowledged they're investigating this. Michigan State Police have acknowledged they're investigating this. Correct. So this is a genuine record. And when I think about the Kilpatrick case and the Chatfield case, both of them uh, called into question the uh, credibility of the subject. Um, in Kilpatrick's case, he, he claimed to be a family man who didn't have wild parties and would never cheat on his wife, his children, his family, or his God. Uh, Lee Chatfield, uh, I'm going to say this, it may sound pejorative, but as a holy roller from Northern Michigan who talks about family and faith and the kind of things. I mean, he's, he's broken a couple of the commandments, as I can tell from the, uh, from the reporting so far. But in both cases, one similarity was when when Jim and I brought this stuff to the free press, we originally focused on the mayor is a liar and he doesn't tell the truth on the witness stand. He doesn't tell the truth in public. He's someone who can't be trusted because we thought trust in public officials was very important. But the editors at the free press very quickly said, let's look at the illegality. And David, being a lawyer, was really helpful with that. And so when we reported the Kilpatrick case, we focused mainly on the perjury, which was a felony and involved lying under oath about an affair. And people forget this, lying under oath about whether he conspired with his chief of staff and mistress to ruin the careers of police officers who were just doing their job. In this case, certainly you have some questions about the moral high ground, the authenticity, the credibility of a man who was probably the second most powerful person in the state of Michigan for two years. But you also have a criminal act and you have a public record, a police report, which now, to my mind, leaves you with very little uh, flexibility as to whether or not you can report this, because it is a matter of public record. A crime has been alleged by someone who is a public figure and still aspires to be an influential and powerful public figure. But the one difference is we had the text messages for a long time and spent a lot of time authenticating them before we published I know that you spent some time authenticating these before these allegations before you could publish. But I'm wondering if if you felt like uh, Bridge had to act a little faster than it would have otherwise, because another outlet had reported, hey, there's a police report saying Lee Chatfield's a creep. A local Lansing publication, um, Lansing City Pulse, uh, uh, published uh, the fact that there was a police uh, investigation into uh, Lee Chatfield. Um, and her newly retained lawyer said that it dealt with um, allegations of sexual uh, assault. So, I mean, that's, you know, obviously one of the questions that, that we had, you know, I mean, we were, uh, we were, we knew about that complaint a couple of weeks earlier, right before the holidays. Um, but we wanted to get as much information as we, as we could before, before we published. And one of the questions we had to ask ourselves is, or one of the things we had to check ourselves on, I should say, is is we didn't want to be rushed before we felt comfortable with this, regardless of how many other publications um, 
uh, knew about the, the, the basic charge. We, we, we knew the details of it, and we knew it straight from the woman who, uh, uh, who had uh, lodged the allegations. Um, but we wanted to make sure we had uh, done everything we can uh, to, um, uh, to make sure that her story was consistent as many times as we talked to her, to make sure that there weren't any red flags, to make sure that there weren't any uh, inconsistencies uh, in what she told us uh, uh, and, and what we were able to find on the public record. And to that extent, there was some um, peripheral corroboration, not only from her husband, of course, um, who went into uh, some detail about um, how his wife uh, had had changed, his then girlfriend and then wife had changed, and how she conducted herself and how it all made sense right now. Um, but uh, just from uh, the actions that she saw, that he saw from his older brother, who he had worshipped, um, uh, both as a teenager um, and and also as his essentially his driver uh in in lansing to see you know um from his view what kind of moral boundaries or lack of moral boundaries uh lee chatfield had uh with regard to his treatment of of women um and then there are other smaller details we were able to corroborate for instance uh rebecca told us this this past july uh lee, lee was you know uh, uh, rebecca and her husband aaron uh moved to lansing a couple of years ago and uh, and Lee was racing over there um, to be with her while before her husband could come home. And she told us, uh, you know, the night that it happened and that uh, then she got a call or text from Lee saying, oh, I can't make it. I got into an, a traffic accident. And then, you know, obviously we we're able to check that as well and get the police report on this traffic accident as well. So, you know, it, it was a matter of trying to hunt down any any sort of a kernel of any of her uh, account. Uh, to see if it can be verified, as well as make every effort that we could to get a hold of Lee Chatfield and his family, which, as the story makes clear, we went to extraordinary efforts to try to reach uh, many members of the family. Did uh, Lee Chatfield just ghost you, or was it an official reply? I mean, because he probably, I would assume, was shocked that other people knew about this. Uh, did you get any kind of reply from him? Um. No, no. In fact, he, he, you know, uh, his longtime uh, cell phone that he had used uh, was was disconnected. He had his own website that went down. Uh, he went, uh, you know, once it once it became known to his family that we were looking into this and that we had talked to Rebecca over the holidays, um, um, those sort of things started to happen. Uh, we got secondhand. Um, reports from other brother, another brother about, you know, Lee did not want to talk. Um, and uh, we, then we also had his father um, tell us very briefly that he was, that his son was uh, uh, innocent of all these allegations. And, but he didn't want to talk any further on that. Um, what, you know, one thing that, 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 that did help in, in sort of getting his, his position out was um, the afternoon, hours before we reported the story, his own lawyer uh, uh, went to social media and put out a statement mm -hmm. uh, saying that, yes, they did have a relationship, but it was consensual and only happened when both of them were, um, were adults. Um, and um, also uh, said in the statement that Lee had had affairs with other people as well, um, which, you know, 
preceded what uh, his brother, his brother Aaron, Rebecca's husband, had told us about Lee's actions when he was in Lansing. Yeah, of that was certainly a major difference between the Kilpatrick story and Chatfield. Kilpatrick maintained that he hadn't cheated on anybody and then eventually had to cop to it. Whereas Chatfield said, uh, yeah, I had sex with her. And guess what? I had sex with a bunch of other people, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what was going on, on there. But, you know, it was he I, I, I presumably, you know, I, I think there's a there's a uh, dynamic where politicians sometimes feel like if they get ahead and say it first, that that maybe that, you know, takes away a little bit of the uh, sting from a, a newspaper story. Um, the story is really good. Cause like you said, uh, not only Rebecca firsthand account, but, um, husband, Aaron Lee's brother, uh, there's some other people too, that went to the school, uh, that felt there was always something a little off. Uh, how many people were that, that, uh, did your reporters find like that, that added, yeah, there was always something weird, you know, added a little bit of the color to the story. You mean about Lee about Lee? Yeah. And what was happening at the school? Because, you know, as you said, his lawyer came out and said, look, it was consensual happened after she's 18. Cause he's just solely looking at what is illegal as opposed to, I mean, it's not a good thing to do what he did in the Christian world and what their family's enterprise is. Um, but I was just curious as to, did other people seem to know or have a feeling about this when she was younger? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the story, uh, only quotes Rebecca, Rebecca's mother, um, and, um, uh, and also Aaron and, and as well as another brother, uh, Paul. Uh, who also uh, said that, um, who, who somewhat defends uh, Lee in saying that um, uh, he doesn't think uh, it went back as far as Rebecca says it went back, but also um, uh, recognizes that Lee did inappropriate things with her. So uh, he didn't have any firsthand knowledge. This was more his uh, speculation, but <coughs> there wasn't a lot of... Uh, pushback on, on the part of, uh, his family about, uh, you know, Lee's, uh, uh, having some sort of relationship, uh, with his younger brother's girlfriend. So David, I know you, uh, being still an employed journalist as an unemployed journalist, I don't really worry about deadlines. I think you have one coming. Can, can you stay from it? Do you need to get to your next uh, meeting? I have a few more minutes. Okay, great. Um, so before you go, I'd love to get your take, and we can dive into this a little after you're gone too, um, on what similarities and differences you see between the Chatfield situation and the Kilpatrick situation. It seems like it, like it's a different time. Um, it's hard for me to say. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, legal digging on both sides, both uh, in the uh, the lawyers who are representing the lawyer who is representing Lee Chatfield in the law firm that is rep representing uh, Rebecca, uh, probably going into uh, trying to find old uh, text messages and and uh, and other communications between the the the, uh, the two of them um, uh, to support each of each of their sides. Um, so um, that 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 to me is uh, is one thing that just stands out. Um, uh, in terms of you know just so much of their lives being uh, taking place over over uh, you know electronically uh, over text messages presumably and uh, Snapchat and that sort of thing. So um, I, I think um, uh, you know there's been no criminal charges filed yet. There's been no civil suit filed yet, um, and um, 
Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, and, and I don't think anyone has a meaningful conclusion as to what did happen. But I think, uh, you know, it's going to be a longer uh, uh, legal game on both sides to try to um, find some of the, these uh, recordings that might, uh, um, you know, give more insight into in, into what happened. So he, he Lee Chatfield was term limited out and then took over um i forget what i forget what economic thing he took over which he had to resign from because the yeah, members did west michigan there you go yeah and the members weren't too happy with with whatever what is he doing now and how does this affect what he's doing now uh yeah well you know i mean w- one of the interesting things and 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 something that um rebecca's lawyer says that he's, he's going to pursue uh is how much money he was able to collect as speaker of the house um, through these, uh, you know, uh, uh, these uh, dark money, this dark money organization. He had three or four uh, political uh, uh, packs um, mm-hmm. in which, you know, he was able to, to garner a lot of money and, 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 uh, and distribute support to different candidates and, and so forth. And um, uh, just from what Aaron told us, and we only published a small part of what Aaron told us about how he was paid, um, and about how Lee was uh, spending money on different uh, travel and entertainment expenses and so forth. So uh, those are wow. those are all areas that are are ripe for uh, revelation, and and uh, I think a, a lot of news publications are digging into them now. Well, I think it's it's interesting when you look at the two cases. Kilpatrick was, of course, in office, and Chatfield is out of office. But you see some similarities in terms of an arrogance and abuse of power. Uh, profligate spending of campaign money and and nonprofit money, uh, putting relatives and friends on the on the on the payroll, um, yeah. and 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 just some simple things like having sex in Detroit hotels and in in office. Now Chatfield um, declines or denies, I believe, that he had sex in the speaker's office. Or maybe he hasn't spoken specifically to that. I should let everybody know that we did reach out to his lawyer this morning and offer her an opportunity to come on the show. She's tied up today, um, but may come on in a future show. But but there there seems to be a similarity here in this uh, this sense of entitlement that I'm a powerful person. I can have whoever I want. I can have whatever I want. I'll get money from people to live this lavish lifestyle. And uh, and at the end of the day. Um, it, it seems that that this is something that uh, I, I think David does speak to a passage of time. It's been almost 15 years since the Kilpatrick scandal broke. And I think as often happens in public life, we become kind of inured to these things because every time some creep does something like this, we become a little less shocked. And one of the things that I think really makes the Chatfield thing uh, stand out to me, whether or not he's guilty of what his sister-in-law has accused him of, is just the stunning and appalling hypocrisy of someone who wraps himself in his faith, someone who claims to be family-oriented and values-oriented and preaches that to other people who seems to have no appreciation whatsoever for walking the talk that they talk so much. (coughs) Oh, there's that COVID. (coughs) I didn't even know you had COVID, Mike. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, we're, and, we're not going to have lunch now. Yeah. <laughs> you, men- you mentioned that in the political sphere, but, you know, remember that, uh, uh, you know, when you read her story, this all happened in the sphere of this uh, 
this church and uh, and private Christian school uh, that um, Rusty Chatfield, uh, Lee's father, uh, uh, runs up near Burt Lake in in, in northern Michigan. And um, you know there were uh, the uh, Rebecca and her mom talk quite a bit about the sort of uh, you know the the, the, the uh, patriarchal sort of way in which this was run the way you know that that uh that uh it, it had very strong male figures and and not terribly strong uh um support for uh for young women so you know i you know obviously this is uh, one family's account and um um you know we 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 need to learn more but um you know it's actually sort of I just want to point out this two spheres of, of power, one within this sort of church Christian school setting, and then a separate, maybe analogous one in, in the corridors of power in Lansing. Yeah. And, and the one thing that's not up for debate is he's a scumbag and a shitty brother because uh, it's not written in any book that I've seen, but I think it's all kind of well known that you don't bang your brother's wife. That's frowned upon in every faith and in every corner of the world that I'm aware of. I'm not going to weigh in on that on that uh, area, but um, <laughs> but but I I, I appreciate your your uh, passion. One one other question about the timeline because you know he's saying hey this this ended in July of uh, last year obviously started when she was 18. This is all all kind of legalese type stuff. Why did she come forward now? Because I saw someone say, oh, did he end the affair and she wanted to keep it going? Is that why she's doing this? Sure, sure. Um, you know that that again goes back to to the 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 church thing, and that's and that's the reason why she wanted her voice uh, out here a, as well. I mean, I, I, she she felt, and, and and if you read the story, she she, she talks at several stages about how um, she felt like that was her whole world when this started happening. Um, she came from a family where her parents were just getting divorced and her father was an alcoholic and the Chatfield family was her really her only stability there. Um, uh, they provided a home. I'm talking about Lee Chatfield and his wife and their young kids. It was a place where she could go and babysit their young, their young kids. It was a place where she could spend the night after a soccer game. Lee was also, you know, a soccer coach there, uh, as well as a teacher. Um, and um, and you know, her boyfriend was was Aaron, and and so it was a it was a place of stability and comfort when her own family life was sort of falling apart. And and her father, who she was uh, living with, uh, had his own uh, alcohol problems and was also lived about an hour away. So it also made it uh, very convenient um, for her to spend a lot of time uh, at the Chatfields. And so, um, you know, I think it's, you know, it, 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 it's hard unless you're in her shoes, I suppose, sure. um, to, you know, with your 15-year-old girl and something like this happens with improper touchings, as she alleges, um, uh, it's hard to know what to do. I mean, she said to us, if I told on him, where would I go? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and she says she was repeatedly told that, um, uh, that, uh, she wouldn't be believed and, 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 you know, that the chat fields are the one constant in her life. 
and they controlled the church. They controlled the school. They controlled their lives. And um, and even when they moved to Lansing, uh, there was, you know, still some control in the sense that um, her husband made his money yeah. through political organizations, you know, that were connected to, to Lee. So, you know, he was a glorified driver in his view. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, it, 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 and what she said to us was she couldn't live with it anymore. You know, it went on for so many years and she felt like she couldn't get out. But uh, the, the um, disconnect uh, but, and the lying to her own husband and her own family was something she just couldn't live with anymore. And she started going to therapy and she grew very depressed and she just felt like she needed to be released from this tangle that she'd been in for a decade. Well, as, as often as we see it, there just is no playbook for it. You know, you just don't know how a person's going to react. And when I, I think it's great that she went to the police first and then something like bridge. Cause so often you see somebody throw something out on Twitter or Facebook about a, a famous person or a political person. And I it just, it helps credibility. I mean, her story is amazing. Bridgemi.com. If anybody wants well, look, to. I mean, you know, we, we make our brand on being a, sort of by the book, um, nonpartisan mm. news site. And there's, and I think there is something smart in going to a place that is, is not, uh, a place that, you know, uh, does sensationalistic type reporting. Um, and that, you know, if we put our people on it, we put our two finest reporters on it, uh, that it's going to be done right. And it's going to, and, and it's going to be a measured account. Uh, and it's not going to be filled with uh, gratuitous information. So um, we're glad she came to us. Well, David, thanks for joining us. Uh, BridgeMI.com. You can see that story, several other stories uh, about the Chatfield scandals that unfolds. And of course, there's lots of good information there about COVID, about education and how things are happening in Michigan. Uh, we encourage you to subscribe. You should donate as well. Support It's been 10 years and clearly Bridge, Michigan is making an impact because this is a story that any reporter in this state would have loved to have gotten that phone call and went to Bridge, Michigan. So congratulations, David. Keep up the uh, sober reporting. And <laughs> when you're ready not to be so sober, give me a call. <laughs> All right. thank, thank you, guys. It's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of people picked up that story naturally as they would, uh, but nobody has the details because they have the interview that Bridge had. Yeah. And, and let me break down the timeline. And I hope I have this right. Bridge had this information, had been working on this for quite a while. Clearly, they had the time to go get that police report from Lansing. And if you know anything about how Freedom of Information Act works, uh, police don't always fork those over right away. Uh, sometimes they do. Most of the time they don't. And when word got out that there was a police report, I believe that was on Thursday from Lansing City Pulse. Mm -hmm. I think it was the next day that Bridge posted their story. So my suspicion is they had to publish a little sooner than they would have liked to because this got out in the public domain. But the story they posted, I don't know how it could have been much better, even if they'd worked on it for another month. Um, it's some pretty solid reporting. Uh, there's enough detail in there that you have an idea what happened, but it's not gratuitous. And it's, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I remember when Republicans used to talk a lot about the more high ground. And now we got uh, Todd, Todd Corser and City Gamrat having affairs, you know, very conservative, holy roller Republicans. We got the former speaker was doing this while he was speaker. You know, I, I, I'm not here to tell people how to live their lives, 
But I think when people who think it's really important to tell us how to live their lives act in the exact opposite way, maybe it's time for them to shut the hell up. And on that note, uh, time for a sponsor. Cause I don't even know, I don't even know how else to segue it. It's it, just go to bridgemi.com and read about it. It's really good. Um, but it is a new year and mortgage rates are likely to increase soon. So you got to act now. This is your chance to refinance and lock in a low rate. And the only place to do that, come on, we all know where that is. It's hall financial call hall first.com eight, six, six call hall. You can chat with them on the phone or online at Hall Financial, their number one priority is client service with over 4,000 five-star reviews. Why else would you go? Where Where else would you go? I mean, that's the only place to go, right? I, I went there twice. I'm not looking to go anyplace else. No. I, I highly recommend them. They can close your loan in eight business days or less. They're the fastest in the industry. Uh, and make sure when you call them, ask for Dan Morrison and tell them ML sent you. Hey, uh, so how do you like being stuck in that room and being at home? Uh, as you can tell, it's inspired my David Lynch-esque hairdo. <laughs> it does look, um, very, yeah. <laughs> does look very David Lynch-esque. It's, it's kind, of, kind of a eraser head uh, on the east side. Um, you know, this is this is funny, not funny. But when we were coming back from the Peach Bowl, I noticed on New Year's morning, I had um, a sore throat. And so on the drive back, I wore a mask the whole time. Um, I was very careful around everybody. The fo- the next day I got a rapid test. It came back negative. How how long did and you how long did you have to wait for that antigen test, the rapid test? Because tests are nowhere to be found. They're just really hard to find unless you know Trudy. So so let me tell you about my my daughter's uh, student teacher. And so before she went to the classroom, we wanted to make sure she hadn't been exposed to anybody who had COVID. So on the Sunday, how responsible of her? What can I tell you? That's great. She runs in a family. So. <laughs> So I had to get this test on the Sunday after New Year's. So it would have been, I don't know, like the second? The third, I think. The third. Okay. Everywhere I went, no tests, no walk-ins, no schedules, uh, pharmacies, no tests. And I finally found a place in Warren that was doing walk-ins. And I had to wait in the cold for an hour and a half just to get in the vestibule to wait for another hour to fill out the at the form to get scheduled for the test. And then I had to wait about an hour to get the test. And then in 15 minutes or so, it came back that I was negative. Now, my sore throat had kind of gone away. And even after being out in the cold, and I mean, bitter cold yeah. for an hour and a half, I didn't feel that bad. Woke up Monday, felt better than I did on Sunday. We did the show on Tuesday. No problems. Uh, went up to East Lansing for the basketball game on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, a friend who had been on the trip said, you know, I had a sore throat. Now I've tested positive. I got tested at Spartan Stadium. It's quick and easy. You should get tested. I said, okay, I'm in town. I got nothing better to do. I went and got tested. It came back on Friday as positive. I have not felt bad at all. I feel a little tired, but I think it's mainly because when you lay in Yep. Bed for four days, you just kind of become a a schlub. But Sean, it turns out, had been feeling badly um, and got tested and tested positive. And at some point, uh, he told us about that, and um, (laughs) and he's still not feeling good. No, he's so uh, not doing well at all. So we hope that he's feeling better. You know, it's, um, you know, it's interesting because even when he's feeling great, he seems to be feeling pretty bad. Yeah. How do you know when Sean's feeling good? It's hard to tell. Yeah, I guess he just, he just goes, 
oh, you know, I'm happy. That's all he ever well, said. No, I'm fine. Yeah, he said his test results were positive for COVID and negative for life. <laughs> it's really. I didn't know they. That must be another swab they put somewhere. <laughs> the whole testing thing is just maddening from a federal level where they promise that there's going to be plenty of them and there's no deals signed. Um, now that's starting to get straightened out, probably way too late. Because that's, I think, when this happens um, and when you guys both told me, you know, you were positive, it's like, okay, I got to get a test impossible to find and then next thing you know you start reading about different tests and maybe maybe this is just me doing too much of a deep dive and it's like no the antigen test shows when you are contagious and the pcr shows that it's in your system and they're, they're so sensitive it could have been a long time ago so you probably when you were in here you weren't contagious but it was still in your system because you had just tested negative so is the antigen the rapid test That's the rapid one yeah okay so, yeah, I don't know. And I, I know there's some people out there saying, well, this is why I shouldn't be vaccinated. This is why it doesn't matter if I get boosted because this guy did it and he's been preaching about it for two years and he still got sick. Let me let me underscore that I don't feel bad. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why is because I was vaccinated and I was boosted. But it's also worth noting that I was wearing a mask a lot of the time. And so if you've been getting by with the cloth masks, and mine are usually double layered, which has been recommended for a while, but uh, as are our Soul of Detroit masks, but it's probably time to switch to the N95 if you can get them yeah. or the KN95s, because it seems like this, this Omicron Every, variant is smaller and more um, pernicious. Everyone's going to get it. Even if it's not as vicious. But the people who are getting really sick tend to be the people who haven't been vaccinated or boosted. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. I hope uh, I hope Sean starts feeling better too. Miss the big guy. Yeah this this is my fifth or sixth day in isolation, so I can get out and about uh, tomorrow, and I'm going to schedule a test. The other thing is, uh, my wife and another one of my daughters. Well, actually, my wife and both my daughters went and got tests. My oldest, the teacher, her test came back negative. And even though my wife and my youngest daughter got tested on Sunday, they're still waiting to get their results back. So the it's system is really disaster. starting to bog down. It's a total disaster. You know, it's not a disaster. Uh, financial planning. That's it, the best way to avoid a disaster. Exactly. Overreaction is not the strategy. You want to be a long-term investor. So when you see the market doing crazy things, don't worry about it. Just give all your money to Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Wealth. He'll know what to do with it. 248-663-4748. He provides rational financial advice. If you should be in equities, should you be in bonds, uh, 401ks, what, what, how do I allocate that? 529. I don't know what any of these numbers mean. Just get advice, get a strategy. Call Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748. Because when you do, Luke will make it all about you, sweetheart. I can't, I can't find the Luke song. I don't know what I did with it. That was a big error. My, I'm just going to read it then. Securities Investment oh, yeah. Advisory Services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC. Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated separately owned or other entities and or marketing names. Products, services referenced here are independent of Royal. Alliance, Associates, Inc. Oh, man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek or we're turning into cool guys? I have a bonus geek of the week after yours. Or do you want me to go first? 
I don't know. It's going to be tough to top mine. But if, if you if you think you, you can, I'll let you go second. If not, let's uh, just prime the pump. No, I'll go, I'll go first. I'll go first. I, okay. I, did you see this guy in Canada? He's a politician. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. And he tweeted out a picture of his wife, uh, something to the effect of she worked in the uh, ER or worked at a, her hospital shift for 12 hours, came home and look at her energy. She's shoveling the snow. And immediately Twitter's like, why didn't you go shovel it? What are you doing? And then they looked at his past tweets, and I think he was watching a tennis match or some sports game. And the whole point being, why didn't you help out your wife if you care about her and love her so much for, um, you know, she works 12 hours and then comes home and shovels the drive when you had been home that whole time. And he just got raked on uh, on Twitter about it. I don't know. It made me laugh because what an asshole. Just go, just go help out your wife. That's it. Oh, yeah. What a... What a bum. I mean, even when I feel really lousy, I try and go scrape the snow off the cars for trees and the girls. Sure. Here's a guy whose wife has been working 12 hours in probably one of the most dangerous situations in Canada. And, uh, and he makes her shovel of snow. Yeah. And below freezing temperatures. And here, here's what he tweeted with the photo. Even after a 12 hour night shift at the hospital, my wife still has the energy to shovel the driveway. God bless her and all our frontliners. Time to make her some breakfast. I don't know. Wow. So I, she's uh, she's not I, just a good wife. In Canada, they would call that an A+. Plus. <laughs> hey? So beat beat that uh, with your geek of the week. Oh, boy. Well, you, you go from the, uh, the, the frigid air of Canada to some hot air here in the U.S. with Steph Maddow. The, uh, you may have seen her <laughs> on 90 Day Fiance. If you have, that just means you're really using your time poorly. But she was rushed to the hospital after a fart attack. And you heard me right. <laughs> She began selling, she's pretty nice looking. Yeah, yeah. So some adult website reached out and said, you should sell your flatulence. So instead of saying, beat it creeps, she started jarring up her blasts at $1,000 a crack. She made $200,000 before having to uh, take a pause. And um, turns out this high fiber diet that she was on that allowed her pr to produce 50 samples a week had created such uh, such a heavy impact on her body, let's say, that this self-styled fartpreneur had extreme gas pains that she mistook, mistook for a heart attack. So the Daily Mirror reports that the way she was able to fuel this endeavor was by living off of mostly beans and eggs and later adding protein shakes. Ugh. And here's... Here's the real disgusting part. It's not just because it allowed her to produce more flatulence, but because it made her smart, her farts smell worse. Well, maybe that's what, that's a good entrepreneur though. That's uh, maybe that's what the people wanted. Well, someone who believes in, in renewable energy, and I guess I have to compliment her, but uh, if I recall correctly from my visit at the Paris peace accords, methane is not one of the gases that is in short supply. <laughs> so, uh, so while I appreciate the effort to be self-sufficient, Steph Maddow, you are Geek of the Week.
Well, we come to Sean's favorite part of the show. <laughs> and since he's with us in spirit, if not in body, we wanted to pick a song from one of his favorite bands, The Smiths, <laughs> that will both describe his condition, but also, we hope, inspire him to come back soon and tell us everything that's wrong with the show. So here is Morrissey and the Boys with Still Ill. that band no so to answer the question uh, it is like the old days we are dialing in remotely Ugh. and we are still ill but uh, hopefully that is uh, running its course and we'll be back together in studio next week but of course only after we have 
tests that show that we are not uh, as contagious as our personalities. I just uh, communicated what? with uh, Mr. Windsor over text during that song to see how he's feeling. Do you want to know what, what he said? What did he say? Woke up a little bit ago. He actually watched a few minutes of the show. See? So he doesn't hate it. And then he said, <laughs> Mike seemed to want to ask David a question, but never got around to it. <laughs> ah, you know, I don't miss him. <laughs> and, not then, a bit. and then he added that he still is not feeling good and he thinks he might actually have the flu more than COVID. Did you ask him if the mind rules the body, or if the body I rules did. the mind? I did. He doesn't know. And he, and he thought you took over my phone because I would never ask such a dumb question. I, I really I was lyrics. just passing it along from uh, Stephen Patrick Morrissey. But. <laughs> Stephen Patrick Morrissey. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a uh, rhetorical question. So room 7609 is where we bring most times hidden new wave gems forth, or we expose you to a band you haven't been exposed to before. Hopefully they're not infected. Although we have played the, the who has a great album called infected. And, uh, and we will be getting to some more of your favorite new wave bands, the hits that people just never quite dug, or we'll introduce you some bands now, uh, one of our new wave stalwarts is uh, suggesting that we play the jam. Um, we have played the jam sort of by playing a style council, which was a side project of, uh, of Paul Weller, AKA the mod father. So we may, we may dig some of those up, but, but Todd says, happy new year. Great shows. I wanted to express my disappointment with your unsuccessful run at the city council seat. Me too. You were the right candidate for the job. Me too. I was troubled and angered after listening to your November 9th show where you were able to describe the reasons you were the better. Okay. So that's true, but we're, we got to move on. What he says is uh, under no circumstances, do I consider myself an aficionado of new wave music, which is why this is relevant for room 7609. It is a genre that I like a lot. Room 7609 has introduced me to the soft side of new wave music, even though we've played some pretty hard stuff on there too. When I say soft, I mean bad. My commute to work has been permanently damaged. We're now every time I travel this certain section of the highway, I think to myself, this is where ML played that God awful song. I'm in love with a German film star. <laughs> I would like to get back the one minute, and eight seconds. And I listened to that song uh, for the record. I think it's like two minutes. So he, well, he, he probably skipped he through it. <laughs> yeah. he, he couldn't, he couldn't stick it out. Either that or he, he crashed. Um, I think my definition of new wave is a little broader than yours and maybe encompass more bands that are harder to find. A great example of this would be the band, The Jam. This band fronted by Paul Weller shared the sound of early British punk, but its music also suggests English pop bands influence. I'm not sure if The Jam would consider themselves new wave and probably wouldn't be too disappointed if they did not make an appearance on Room 7609, where they would end up sharing room with the great bands like Fun Boy 3. Wow, a lot of... A lot of people got punched in that darkened room. Well, not, uh, first not, of all, not every song you pick is going to be a gem. So, right. Well, and, and you know, I mean, Paul Weller he... is a guy who doesn't really seem to care what anybody thinks. I mean, he quit the jam when it was at the height of its popularity. He comes in and out of music whenever he f sees fit, but always seems to do very well. But, um, but you know, if we can throw him a bone and work him into room seven six or nine. We'll be happy to do that in I, the future. So I, I think you should do a month. What what was that emailer's name? Was it? Did you say Nick? What was his name? Todd. Todd. Where did I get Nick from? Um, I think you should do a whole month. Nick, Nick is the one who got us on the whole Chatfield Kilpatrick oh, right. discussion. Okay. Um, yep. I think you should do a whole month just for Todd of really like hardcore new wave, whatever that would be. We 
pretty much just do a hardcore new way, but we'll, we'll come up I, with something. Todd could, disagrees. I don't know. I'm just saying maybe a Todd month. What, Everybody loves a Todd you, month. You know, what we could do is we could do a Paul Weller month where we play a song from the different Paul Weller projects. That could be a lot of fun. Sure. Why not? So, uh, so rather than turn this into a town called malice, we'll check it out. Maybe make um, it uh, for February. Isn't February also when uh, you're doing the Clark park classic? Is that, do you have a date for that? Oh, yet? Yes. And no, it's, it's this month. It's, oh, it's January month. 22nd. Yes. It's a week from Saturday. Well, I guess, depending on when you're listening to this, it's coming up and uh, we encourage people to support the kids of Detroit Clark park. For those of you who aren't familiar with it was a city recreation center till about 30 years ago when under mayor Archer, who was trying to deal with the budget crisis, the city decided it had to close the park, but people in the neighborhood came together and said, no, 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 we need to keep this open for our kids. And this was before Southwest Detroit was as, as, as uh, dynamic as it is now. It was on the rise, but it wasn't quite the destination that it is today. And the community came together, kept the recreation center open, maintains one of the greatest outdoor rinks in America, I believe, but certainly anywhere I've ever been, and, uh, and does programs throughout the year for kids, arts and crafts. There's a computer lab. There's uh, homework assistance. There's a summer lunch program. Basically, it's a place where kids can go to be kids the way you're supposed to be a kid. And so we support it. This is the eighth year that Mike Ratai and I have sponsored a charity hockey games there. Now we have a women's game and I skate in the men's game. Although scouting says I should be in the women's game just because, <laughs> uh, just because you're transitioning. Um, uh, no, um, because they want to laugh at me. Your hair, the bags, men have been your laughing hair begs at me long enough. Yeah, no, no, this is they, they, the women wouldn't let me out of the house with this hair. They, they'd be appalled. But no, the, the women deserve a chance to skate past me since the men have been doing it for so long. But we would love you to support this cause in any way that you can. Uh, you can always volunteer by contacting the park. There's a winter carnival before the hockey game. Hockey game's a ton of fun. We have food, we have beer. It's a great time. It's some really good hockey. And you can support us by going to patronicity.com, search for Clark Park. Our 2022 fundraisers there. You'll see a little video from me. We're trying to raise $5,000 from donations. All the players who play pay to help support the game. So we'll put a link to, uh, to the patronicity site on our website, which is mlsoulofdetroit.com. So if you can donate, we certainly would appreciate it. We did not receive any donations to the show last week. I suspect those people are saving up to donate to Clark Park, which is great. But I, uh, I somewhat cheekily suggest that you can support both causes <laughs> patronicity.com for the hockey game and for Clark park. Mark, where do people go to donate to ML soul of Detroit? ML soul of Detroit.com. The little uh, donate the, button. It's that simple. Wow. We got a lot of mail this week, even though we didn't get very many donations. And one of them comes from Karen, who was weighing in on my conversation about uh, the unholy alliance of Tim Hortons, which along with Culver's is one of the only fast food places I eat. And Justin Bieber, she says, I'm with you on Culver's, not as good as Steak Shake, but tasty burgers and chicken tenders via drive-thru. But Tim Hortons is such crap. It boggles my mind how every Tim's has a line into every street every morning. The coffee, the donuts, the half-cold breakfast sandwiches are all so awful. And the owners are so cheap, they try to hand you everything without napkins, a bag, and even no sleeve on hot coffees. Maybe you can explain to listeners why you like it. The maple donuts they make are good and unique. I don't like maple. But only in Canada on our hockey road trips with the kids haven't had one in years. Oh, so I, I don't think there's such a thing as a bad donut. I mean, a donut's a donut. I do prefer Dunkin', but whatever. 
Well, you know, I'm down on the clown, so I don't like to go to McDonald's. What? And uh, and BK, you know, if they were really flame broiled, that'd be great. But most of them were flame broiled. I don't know what the hell happened to them, and they come out of a microwave, which. Uh, yeah, it's you called, don't, you don't microwave staging. cooked meat. It's called staging. It's not really yeah, a microwave. Well, I don't want to yeah, get that, into that, all of it. That, that, that staging is for a failed uh, uh, one act that should be pulled from Broadway immediately. Oh. So so uh, we'll get some of this other mail next week when we have a little better connection. We're back in town. But I want to touch on some of the stories that we or some of the letters we got from folks. We're very concerned about this Chatfield thing because it really does seem to be a topic that's dominating the news. Uh, Jim says, so Lee's brother, Aaron says Lee's favorite place to live it up was Shinola hotel in Detroit. Interesting geography for a married man with family up North near Petoskey and a job in downtown Lansing. I'm sure it's just a big coincidence that Shinola hotel Mm. just happens to overlook the Hudson site on Woodward Avenue. (laughs) You know, the same site and dubious skyscraper that inked a record breaking $618 million tax package for the richest man in the state. Dan Gilbert's compliment of the Lee controlled Michigan legislature. Hmm. I think it goes a little deeper than that, because if I uh, am not mistaken, Tom Leonard, who was the speaker of the house before Lee Chatfield and ran unsuccessfully for attorney general, when he left the legislature, went and took a job with one of the Gilbert companies. So this, this connection between Gilbert and Lansing is, uh, is pretty strong. I didn't even think of this until we were talking to David, because naturally you just think about, oh, here's the story of the affair and possible grooming and uh, or alleged, you know, molestation. And then I didn't even think about the whole money aspect to it and the amount of money he controls with his packs and when he was, um, you know, the, the, in the House of Representatives. Well, for a long time, Gilbert couldn't make political contributions because he was owner of a casino, casino yeah. and casino owners and contractors can't make political contributions. That law, by the way, changed. And in fact, uh, Dan Gilbert put $10,000. Well, one of the Dan Gilbert uh, affiliated political action committees put $10,000 into my opponent's city council campaign. At the same Mm. time, my opponent was saying, I'll stand up to the downtown billionaires. (laughs) I have 10,000 reasons to doubt that, but, uh, but yeah, Gilbert, Gilbert draws big time water. And you may remember the free press did a story a few years ago, uh, talking about how, um, some Dan Gilbert employees went to the state of Michigan when they were getting some violations on some projects and basically said, yeah, no, we're okay to do this. We were told it's okay to do this. And the state more or less said, yeah, that's, that's fine. And the state employees who were writing these citations felt like they basically got run over by, uh, by, uh, by very powerful forces. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, Julie weighs in, hope you guys really go into the explosively cat Chatfield story. Check. God, I heard years ago he was a phony and known creeper, but I didn't and don't really care about state politics. So I thought nothing of it at the time. Now, normally we wouldn't throw allegations like that sure. out there on this show, but Lee Chatfield is basically through his lawyer agreed. I was a creeper. I'm married. I'm a family man. I'm banging my sister-in-law and a bunch of other chicks. Creeper, check. Uh, I revisited the creeper comment at the same time Lansing East Lansing connected friends, family. I heard it this weekend. They said his skirt chasing and hard parting was an open secret. Everyone knew. 
Then did you see Craig Mauger, who works for the Detroit News, excellent reporter. Mm -hmm. He had a, a massive nonprofit slush fund for entertainment. Sure seems this compromised creeper was kept fat, dumb, and happy by the powers that be. So, uh, Julie, I would say that you are spot on with that. Um, pretty, pretty savvy listening audience that we have out there. Um, and, uh, and we have some more mail that we'll be bringing back to you next week. And of course, we always want to hear from you. Uh, you can give us a call at 313-288-9070. That's Butterfield 89070. Or send us your email at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. Uh, I do have to share one other comment that I saw, um, that I saw <laughs> online that cracked me up. Someone subscribed to our YouTube channel, which is ML Elric. We can watch the live broadcast of this show and you can subscribe anytime and watch the replay. Somebody posted, Sean L Windsor looks exactly like I imagined. <laughs> the voice does fit his face. So many times you hear that you know, about people in radio or whatever, where, wow, your voice doesn't fit the way you look. Sean is just spot on. Voice matches the face. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's Grumpy. It's, uh, I love the show. Sean looks just as I imagined. Uh, now, there's no uh, explanations of what they imagined, but I will just tell you, Sean never disappoints. No, he also texted me and said, um, uh, good show. Better without me, maybe. And I just wrote back, no, never. And you wrote back, Mike's more relaxed. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want a relaxed Elric. I want one that's fired up and going to fight with you. I want you two guys fighting. Yes, in fact, we, we had a good show a few months ago about that. So check out some of our back catalog <laughs> there. Um, you know, I really want to get into some of Jim Brandstatter's uh, comments that college football is headed to a dark area. Charlie Batch basically bribing a kid to go to Eastern Michigan University. But I think those are topics that we will have a much more robust discussion on when Sean is back in studio. Or perhaps they'll be tackled on the Carlos and Sean podcast oh, yeah. recorded on Mondays posted on Fridays. So go and check that out. I think they're, I think they're making predictions on the championship uh, game, uh, Georgia and Alabama. So I can't wait to see who they like and then find out what happens. It's Georgia, Georgia. And, uh, and of course we encourage you to subscribe to the media organizations that are really doing a great job and need your support. Bridgemi.com, freep.com, debtnews.com, and, you know, uh, there's always ML sold Detroit at Gmail or no, at, at ML sold Detroit.com. We can hit that donate button. Um, and when you're not doing all that, we encourage you to support the other red shovel network shows, Charlie LaDuff's no BS news hour and the Drew and Mike podcast heard right here on the red shovel network. Mark, any last words of wisdom no, before, you, uh, no, get better. Okay. Get out of that room. Well, and you know, what? we're going to, we're going to, I'm, I'm walking this onto the agenda. I'm shoehorning this in a new feature. Joe Zuver's world where Joe tells us about everything that's going on behind the scenes at the house of Zuv. Zuv's and we're ready to go in go one, two, no, three, two. Okay. That covers Zuver's it. world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll have another installment next week, <laughs> exclusively here on ML soul of Detroit. In the meantime, stay healthy, get boosted, get vaccinated, wear a good mask, take care of yourself and Cyrus. Take us out before Can you COVID dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it?
You've been listening to ML Elric and Sean Windsor in the first part of Battle for Inspector West by John Creasy. Listen to Terror for a Bride, the next episode of Art Bell Hour, production of Battle for Inspector West. Thank <laughs> you.